I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, folks. So, you know, I love connecting with amazing, amazing people, especially amazing first gens. And today I have the wonderful, the fabulous Chantel Okonkwo, who is from Los Angeles, California, on the line with us today. She's the founder of Woke STEM. She's a mover and a shaker like Chantel Hello, and thank you for being on the show. How are you? Hey, thank you for having me. I'm doing wonderful today. It is sunny, it is warm, and I am on my couch, so I'm feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a, literally in a good position then. And you say it's sunny and warm. It's sunny and hot over here on the East Coast. So, you know, but at least we both got a little sunshine. So, yeah, so Chantel, if you know, I, I love to let people tell everybody about themselves because nobody knows your story better than you do. So let's just get the party started with the tell us who you are. You know, what is it that you do? And, you know, what do you love? Yeah, so right now, I guess the thing that takes up most of my time is my PhD program. I'm currently a PhD candidate at UCLA. I'm running my PhD in molecular biology with an emphasis in gene regulation. So I'm really interested in how our gene expression or what makes us really different and diverse on the levels of genetics, how that works at the molecular level. That's what I primarily do in most of my time. But I like to just describe myself as a creative in general. Um, I've had a really interesting life story and it's led me down a lot of really unique paths. But those paths are really guided by my sense of creativity, resilience, and perseverance. So kind of taking it back a little bit, I've had a, had a really unique childhood that was really embellished by the arts. I was into music, music performance, music composition. I was into the arts, dance, and theater as well. I've always been like an artsy flower child, I guess. And that's kind of just always been on the side because my parents immigrated here from Nigeria. And for those of you listening, if you have Nigerian parents or if you have parents from another country that immigrated here, the the primary narrative is that you come to America and your kids become a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. Choose <laughs> one, and then that's it. That's, that's you for the rest of your life. So I kind of fell into that. I was, you know, doing the whole pre-med thing. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to med school. I'm going to be this, you know, cardiothoracic surgeon or whatever. Like, I was just going for it. But then over time, I realized that um, I had a really burning love for the science of medicine as opposed to like the clinical social side of medicine. Hmm. So um, I kind of let my creativity drive me again and fell into research. I thought scientific research was really cool. I like the idea of just asking questions and thinking and coming up with solutions. And I just thought that process was really dope. And I was like, wait, you can get paid to do this? Like, sign me up. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as an undergrad, you're broke. And it's like, a lot of things are motivated by money, low-key. So (laughs) so I got into research, and um, I was really, really good at it. I excelled at it. From then on, I applied to graduate school, and I got in, and it was great. But one of the key elements I'm leaving out in this this kind of quick story of myself 
was that I come from a really fragmented background, essentially come from a single parent household, although both parents are in the picture in some way. I do have a history of people in my family being subject to the prison pipeline system. And I also grew up in a low-income household. There were a lot of struggles that I had to face growing up, and that impacted me. Although I tried my hardest to do well in school and, you know, try to get myself out and escape the really, I guess, what you could say, tumultuous household, tumultuous home situation, they started to impact me. So there was a point where everything in my life was kind of crashing down. This was like back in 2010 where, you know, it was when my brother was incarcerated. My dad had a near-death experience where he actually coded. My grades were falling out of control. My mental health was spiraling. It was just like everything was too much. And I ended up earning, um, I ended up earning a 1.3 GPA, which just was like, all right, well, who am I? Because up to that point in my life, I was associating my GPA with my self-worth. I didn't really know another mechanism for self-worth, unfortunately, at the point. But then I did a lot of reflection. I did a lot of introspection and found, you know, I kind of came to the conclusion that I'm a child of God, I'm gifted, and I'm blessed, and I'm talented. This isn't the end of my life. This isn't the end of the road for me. This is just the beginning. This is just a little hiccup in the long path of a beautiful life. And I decided to change up my environment. So from there, I moved to San Francisco, and I moved there with the ultimate goal of creating the best life I could for myself. And that's essentially what happened. I aligned myself with good people. I aligned myself with experiences that allowed me to foster my creativity, my gifts, talents, and allow me to grow. And from there, you know, the way the universe works, things start to manifest to your favor. And, you know, things just started falling in line. And it led me to this point where I'm now very successful and accomplished PhD student. So that's, mm. I guess you can say my life in a nutshell <laughs> up to this point. Ooh, when I say that's been busy, uh, but I get it. And when I say I get it, I, I really get it. I do. Which leads me to want to ask you this question to the young woman who has experienced something similar to yourself, um, you know, to myself, where we just have some family stuff going on. We come up broke and life is just beating you down. And let's say, you know, especially for those of us who are now first generation college graduates, what do you say to her or even, you know, to, to that young man who's experiencing this? What do you say to them to, you know, help them be encouraged on their own journey? What I say to them is that everything they want is already inside of them. You don't need to worry. Like things will work out as long as you manifest a good life for yourself. You align yourself with the right people and that you really stay true. Like you really, really stay true. Another thing I'd like to say to that person that might be struggling through these things is that don't let anybody tell you about yourself because who they are not they are not the authority over who you are and what potential you have to do great things. If I let people, which a lot of people did, had a lot of things to say about me, had a lot of opinions about where I was going to go and what my feeling looked like, if I let that dictate my life, I would not be on this podcast right now. I'll tell you that for sure. Mm. So um, I just say that don't let other people tell you about themselves because they're experts at them and their situation. They're not experts on you. So let mm. that be a guiding principle. Real talk. <laughs> like, I, I love everything you just said. I really do. When you moved to San Francisco, just out of curiosity, was that difficult for you? Because you did mention being, you know, again, first generation and you came from a, a low income house. So what was mm-hmm. what was it like? Even because for us, it's not just easy to just pick up and move. So how did you navigate that? Yeah, no, that that move was definitely a blessing and like a sliver of light that I just jumped onto. It was really hard. It was it was it was a privilege, but it was really really difficult. 
I I worked while I was in college. I worked multiple jobs, and when I knew that I wanted to leave, I just backed up. Like I was working about three jobs at one point. I was working at McDonald's um, a lot. I was doing you know, the night shift. I worked at a water park, <laughs> and I also worked as a substitute after school like tutor for this like this tutoring program. So I was hustling, and you know, also it's in my blood to hustle. That's why you know I chose the entrepreneurial path. But you know I just hustled really hard and tried to save up whatever I could. When I decided to leave, you know my parents had a hard time letting me go, and I just let them know like, hey, you know there's nothing you can do right now. This is a decision making for myself. Plus I'm not 18, so there's nothing you can really do. My mom did ask if she could like help me a little bit here or there, but I, I knew that it was going to be a burden on her. And I also knew that, you know, once you accept money from anybody, once you accept anything from anybody and you depend on that, that's how they kind of retain some control over you, whether they have good intentions or not. And my purpose for leaving was to cultivate a life for myself that's truly autonomous and independent. So I refused. I refused any help um, initially when I left. And yeah, it was scary, but I hustled. You know, I used my street smarts and I just hustled really, really hard. Yeah, I ain't mad at you. You got to do what you got to do. And three jobs. I'm like, when did you have time for school? (laughs) Like, really? You were doing a lot. But I mean, I guess at some point you get used to it because you realize, like you said earlier, I have to do this. I don't have any choices. I'm either going to sink or I'm going to swim. And I'll be damned if I sink, so I'm going to swim. So I think that's really, really, really cool of you. Uh, So I kind of want to go back a little bit as well. What even made you want to go to college in the first place? Because not only, as you've already said, are you first gen as a, a collegiate and a graduate, but you were first gen as an American. So what was the push? So I kind of have that typical, I guess, immigrant type of background where, oh, let me say voluntary immigrant background, where <laughs> you, because <laughs> you know the difference, but um, where, you know, your parents kind of just, my parents really valued education as, you know, that key to the quote unquote American dream, as we all know, is kind of a myth. Um, but from their standpoint, they were like, you know, you have to get an education. You need to get an education. It's from, you know, as a young age, it was just something that was, like, expected of me. There wasn't any, like, hesitation there. However, it was kind of on the negative side. I think it was on the extreme side where there was a pressure, like, really extreme pressures. In my communities, especially growing up, it was difficult because there's this culture of, like, comparison and, like, oh, like, so-and-so's kid is going to Yale. Like, what are you doing? You need to go harder. As opposed to, like, really having that energy directed on you as an individual, it was more like, oh, well, this is what so-and-so is doing. You need to do better kind of thing. So my motivation did come from my parents and my community because it was an expectation. But it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was the most healthy kind of pressure. It was a little toxic at some point. But I am mm-hmm. glad that that was there at a, at a really young age because I was a really radical kid and really outspoken and I was kind of all over the place. And if I didn't have that direction, then I don't know where I'd be right now. I'd be somewhere in Thailand or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, but it, was, it was great that at least they just gave me some sort of a directive early on that was solidified in me. I like that a lot. And so then you ended up finishing, of course, your undergraduate degree now as a PhD student. I mean, there's a master's in between there. What has that journey looked like and what's kept you motivated to keep going? Because, you know, you said you have on the one hand that expectation of 
you know, be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. And then you were like, nah, gee, I'm going to do this science thing. But there was had to be something with still just that the desire to do well for yourself. Or is there somebody who came along and was like, I think you'd be great at this. Like what happened in the in-between? Yeah. So when I first started doing research, I was at San Francisco State University and I started doing research at UCSF, which I'm really thankful for. I came into that lab really like my self-esteem was pretty low. So I was still kind of healing from those tragic experiences I had before you moving to San Francisco. I had a lot of insecurities around my capabilities, even though I made this huge move. It was like, ah, like, you know, I'm doing research at this like world-renowned institution and everybody here is super smart and super accomplished and is like stellar on paper. I'm just, you know, a regular old roundaway girl from, you know, Central California. But I had an incredible mentor who also looked like me, which was huge. I had a really mm. incredible mentor who believed in me and believed in my potential. And he was patient with my learning style, which was something I never really experienced before. I was often in a lot of environments where it was like, you fit into this box or you don't. And if you don't, you don't deserve to be here. He kind of flipped it on his head and like understood my learning style and allowed me to really flourish. And that was what kind of set everything apart. So from there, you know, I became really accomplished at what I was doing. I ended up publishing my first paper after eight weeks in the lab, which was, I didn't know it was a big deal wow. at the time. But looking, yeah, I was like, wow, <laughs> that was crazy. But it just really comes down to the fact that I had the right type of environment to spread my wings and grow and had the freedom to kind of explore and be creative. And what does it really mean to be successful? So from there, you know, I became really good at what I did. I, you know, won a bunch of awards and things for my research. And I decided on, I wanted to go to graduate school and I actually didn't go for a master's. I went straight from undergrad to my PhD. Um, okay. But I decided I wanted to get a PhD mainly because I just loved thinking. Like I really loved asking questions and getting really, really deep with the answer. Like what is the answer? Uh, and that's what I understood graduate school to be. I understood the PhD to be this like long period of time where you can really hunker down and just ask really detailed questions and have fun being intellectually curious. I thought that was a dream. Going through it, it's, you know, not exactly that, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but um, I think one of the motivators for also going doing something this intense was the fact that I kind of didn't really know what else I wanted to do. I had a lot of ideas and a lot of things I was interested in. Again, like the arts kind of stayed with me throughout my life. At the time, I was in a dance company. And I was seriously at the point considering changing my major to dance anthropology and like taking a year to kind of travel the world and, you know, explore world dance in that way. But I was like, you know, I don't know if this is gonna, I don't know if this is really realistic. Like this, this might not really go well, you know, go well with my parents or am I gonna make any money? Am I gonna eat? Like, you know, I'm tired of living that undergrad life. How is it? I'm not trying to live that for another year. So um, I just decided to just go all in with the PhD also because I was told by people that, you know, I'd be great for it and that you know I had all these validators I guess they were kind of artificial in a sense but I had all these validators of you know winning awards and like you know being really good at writing grants and designing research questions and things like that so it, it was just kind of like the system was set up for me to just go straight in but looking mm -hmm. back I have a lot of critiques as to what that is and what that looks like especially for students who come from low-income backgrounds, backgrounds where support is key, backgrounds where community is key for success because a PhD 
is pretty much the opposite of that. And when you go straight, it's like ooey. So um, I hope I <laughs> you did. It's like ooey. I know. <laughs> what did I just do? What was I thinking? Um, but something I love about what you said, and I just feel like that kindred connection is how you love to think and how you love to figure out stuff and how you love to problem solve. So once you get past all the stuff of the actual coursework and dissertation, you know, you do get to just do those things. So it's coming, sister, it's coming. Uh, But it's definitely something to be admired. I always tell people I love, I'm fascinated with thinking and dreaming, but then also, like you said, wanting the problem solved. So it's a good fit. They know, don't ever have doubts. It's a great fit. You know, it's a great fit. It's discovery and it's it's teaching as well. So I I love it. I, you know, got my PhD in higher education administration because I was so fascinated with college because of my experience, even as a first gen. And so even in that evolving, I'm always like, how can we fix this problem? And even now I'm like, okay, I I still plan on doing research, you know, one of these days, but right now I got to handle this business. So thank you for sharing that piece because people should know that it's okay to want to think and want to be smart. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. So kind of like moving into a different direction, you know, again, because you are a first generation college graduate. And, you know, it is my belief. Part of the reason I even created this platform is that the challenge does not stop. So what has life been like for you as a first generation graduate? Because you have the degree to, quote unquote, prove that you can do it, but life is still life and that doesn't change the fact that you're from a low CS background it doesn't change the fact that you are a black woman so how was life for you now how are you navigating i think um now not that i think i know now that the experiences that i used to call um things of lack things that were like strikes i guess against myself relative to the common narrative the majority narrative i guess coming from a low-income background, coming from a city that's, you know, not that progressive, coming from, you know, um, a background where you have to understand whether or not you are black or not, because, you know, being an African and African-American community comes with all kinds of dynamics. You know, there was just all these conflicts and growing up, it always just felt like these were things that were against me and it made it harder for me to quote unquote fit in or succeed. But now I see them as elements of true diversity, my own personal diversity, that I turn into strengths as opposed to strikes. So it's really just like a mindset thing, I would say. Taking an intersectional lens, breaking down those intersections, being a woman in the world, being a woman that is educated in the world, being a black woman that's educated, all of these things I think have added a lot of value into how I think about problems. They've added a really unique perspective. And I think overall, because I came from situations which were difficult, think life wasn't really easy, I think I've gained a lot of emotional intelligence and a lot of empathy. Mm. Um, I don't think it's the only way you should be able to gain empathy because that wouldn't really make for a just world or a world that makes any sense. But I think I gained a lot of empathy and that empathy has driven me to make, I think, some some decisions that I'm proud of um, and how I relate with people and how I mentor others. I've had the opportunity to mentor many undergraduates and young people in general. And I think that need and that drive to want to help out others who are going through the struggle or who just need a helping hand, I think it comes from that background that I have in knowing what it's like to quote unquote lack and not really having a lot of help or guidance along the way. 
and how much it would mean to just have somebody that looks like you that says you can do it or just trust in you or support you, you know? Um, hmm. so I, I think in a nutshell, it's, it's empathy that I've gained from my experiences and my identities. It's a particular type of intelligence that I've gained from being where I'm from. Also, it's a sense of pride, too. Like, my, my ethnic background is something I'm really, really proud of. And it's not at a surface level, but on a deeper level. Like, really, I always go back to the notion of ancestral power and how that really drives forth anything that I do in this life here on this planet. Um, I really try to channel that, especially in those moments where it's like, I, I don't know if I can do this anymore. This is really difficult. I always trust in that and know that, you know, my people have been through worse and my people are intelligent people have intelligent systems for navigating the world. And they've been doing this for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So I'm straight. Like, I'm good. They got my back. They see me. I'm good. So I think that's all of those elements kind of come together to give me a unique way of navigating the world um, in a way that leads me closer to not success, but a, a life well lived. Mm. Yeah, that's real. That's deep. <laughs> I really <laughs> liked it a lot. Like, I moved by that myself. Like, you better say that because at the end of the day, it's, it's true. It's worse has been done and I'm going to be OK. But even just kind of like I said, the ancestral power, I've never heard it phrased that way. Oh, all right. Look, you just uh, like you, my girl. <laughs> I'm, I'm really I'm really loving this. Your energy is amazing to me. So. You know, let me let me touch on something that I've been really wanting to know about because I need the people to know about this because I, I tell you, you're dope. You're very dope. Woke STEM. Tell us about Woke STEM because you're about to take over with this Woke STEM. I don't know if you know it, if anybody's <laughs> spoken it to you, but from what I see, it's coming. So let me just go ahead and be, you heard it first <laughs> on the podcast. So tell us about the takeover in Black STEM or just period. So t- yeah, tell us about Woke STEM. <laughs> yeah, so Wokestem is something I'm, I'm really, really passionate about. Wokestem is a organization that created that intersects social justice in STEM while uniquely centering black people or people of color, if you'd like. Um, it's an organization I created out of a need for two things. One, for black people to have the space and the opportunity to be their full self in STEM and outside of STEM as well, but particularly in STEM. Um, And it's also an organization I created to kind of get down to the root of the disparities that lead to the current state of affairs for what it means to be black and participate, consume, or experience STEM. Um, Mm. So I do this through, again, a creative lens because that's something that I've just been driven by throughout my whole life. And I think I'm gifted at our central hub is a visual hub right now. We have a visual platform. We create really unique videos that are Afrocentric in concept and that kind of probe at this idea, what would it look like for a world where we are really out here? One of our series is called We Out Here on YouTube. What would it look like if we were really out here? If we were able to be black and in STEM fully, if we were able to humanize our full selves and still be good at whatever we're doing in STEM? And the reason why I pose that question is because it's possible. We're doing it already. It's just that the common majority narrative is that we can't do these things. And honestly, in a lot of systems and academia and outside of academia and STEM, when you are your full self, when you do bring your full self to that table, it is seen as as a threat. And you know how it is in systems like when the folks get threatened, right? So 
I, I kind of create these videos in order to one, communicate science in a way that's easy, it's digestible, and it's culturally relevant to our communities. And then two, to provide an opportunity for these scientists, technologists, engineers, and mathematicians in the STEM enterprise to be their full selves. There's people who talk about their love of Marvel and how it intersects with social justice. There's people who talk about their love of brunch in LA and how they're just trying to go to all the brunch places before they leave their PhD program. You know, it's like a really colorful space and it's comical as well. Wokestem is also, like I said, it's an organization where we have programming oriented towards institutions of higher learning, institutions for K through 12, and also companies or other organizations where we develop in-person experiential workshops on developing science communication skills and other think tank oriented activities around diversity and inclusion and Afrofuturism. So that's what Wokestem is kind of in a nutshell. Our general basic principles are joy, authenticity, resistance, and excellence. And we take that very, very seriously. And everything that we do, you see that threaded throughout because each of those four principles are very, very powerful, particularly in the Black community and the Black experience. Mm. So I'm just really curious, is this what you want to be known for? Is Wokestem what you want to be your legacy? Yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely would like this to be a legacy of mine to leave behind because it's one, it's destructive and it's destructive in the best way, I think. Just to be your full self as a black person because I'm sure you know, like, I mean, getting to the point where you are, you know, having a PhD and all of that, it's not easy. And the other thing is that it probably wasn't as easy as it was for those who don't look like us. It's been difficult mainly for the color of our skin or the way that we speak or what have you. Things that make us diverse and beautiful and unique and that lead to a more colorful world, no pun intended, are things that are seen as strikes that are used against us in the workplace and in um, academia. So I would like to create a kind of a new paradigm. I really want to momentalize a, a paradigm shift and how we see authenticity, radical authenticity in these spaces. And hopefully those who are empowered, those decision makers or whoever can understand that it is a strength and not a strike to be your full self. If it means that you can't bring your chair to the table or whatever, I'm really interested in kind of creating new tables that we bring our own things to. <laughs> you know, and um, I'm not really interested in doing this in a traditional sense and appealing to the oppressor <laughs> if we want to go there. Um, and I think I have a lot of a lot of strategies that I hope to implement in the near future and hope to impart on those that work with me to create those tables because it does require a lot of strategy. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, man, again, you just hit me over the head today. Like, create your own damn table. <laughs> You're right. Why not? I mean, because I, I often make the reference of, you know, having a seat at the table. But, yeah, convicted. <laughs> I'm convicted even now. Like, create my own. So I even reconceptualizing the work that both of us do in helping these marginalized groups. Um, because, you know, first generation is a marginalized group. Something that people right. don't know is that there are only 11% of individuals like ourselves who go to school and actually graduate. So only 11%, you mean to tell me it's another 89% of people who just didn't make it, but it's just the barriers, you know? So we, we are special, but we got to help each other. We have to help each other get ahead. And people ain't thinking about you, they ain't thinking about you. So that's just, that's just real. So with the organization that you started, because and I also love that, you know, your research background and your personal interest and your creativity, it all folds up into entrepreneurship. And that's something that 
you know, initially I didn't really consider of how enthused I would be about entrepreneurship because of the research component, because you got to know your market. <laughs> you have to keep being creative and figuring out, you know, from your data, what does and doesn't work. I say, I would ask you, what would you say to that first generation scientist who wants to get into entrepreneurship for themselves? What advice would you give just for being able to just open up their own doors or build their own doors and bring their own tables inside, you know, the house that they build? What I would say is one, just take a moment and that moment can look like a day, a month, a year, a few years. Take a moment mm -hmm. to really hone in on your strategy because particularly when you are a marginalized person, depending on what kind of marginalization you come with, when you're a marginalized person, it's not as seamless. Unfortunately, it's just not as seamless to go into these spaces and there's a lot of nuance when it comes to funding, securing funding, um, mm -hmm. pitching to people, you know, there's just so much that goes into it. So I would say hone in on your strategy, hardcore. Um, I would also say, you know, make sure that your bread and butter is on lock because, mm -hmm. you know, it's, I'm sure there are a lot of statistics out there that show that when you're a first generation college student, there's a high correlation to income, the kind of income background that you come from. Now, whether mm -hmm. or not you sit on a nice trust fund or you're sitting on, you know, pennies and dust, you you really want to have a good, you want to make sure that whatever is paying your bills at the moment or will be paying your bills is unlocked because if you don't have those foundations in place, it's going to become increasingly more difficult for you to reach your dreams or succeed or make your idea get off the ground. The last thing I'd like to say is specifically for those who are at institutions of higher learning and also institutions that are well-resourced, make use of those communities, make use of those institutions. Whether you're paying out of pocket or you're paying through a scholarship or whatever, you are paying for resources. You are paying for the resources that the school has. Make use of those things. And what that looks like is, you know, go to the entrepreneurial center, go to the career center, go to this networking event, go to that networking event, use the, the printers and you, all the free paper, use the free meeting spaces. That's a key. You know, when you're out there in the real world, you got to pay for meeting spaces, we work and whatnot. When you're a student, when you're a member of that community, you don't have to pay to use spaces. So make use of all of the resources that you have, especially if you're at a well-resourced institution, and just be really smart about it. Make those connections and use your student status. Student status is kind of a privilege in a weird way. and It is. <laughs> You know, okay, how old you are, it is. <laughs> right. I'm not just talking about like Amazon Prime or whatever. I'm talking about the fact um, that that human capital element when you're networking with people or when you're trying to just work with people on a different level or get into certain mm -hmm. spaces like rooms. When you say you're a student, I think society kind of has this positive ethos around that and they want to help because they know being a student isn't easy. So mm -hmm. make use of that status because once you graduate, you're a quote unquote regular schmegler and people don't aren't as easy going and as willing to like you know go out of their way to help you they're gonna want to just ask you for money before they turn their head your way and sometimes that might be a challenge so i think those are a few of the tips i have for especially a first generation student who's interested in entrepreneurship especially if you're a scientist particularly if you're a scientist because you know, entrepreneurship and science can be pretty expensive if you're if you're trying to go the traditional route of, you know, a startup or whatever. That it can be it can be a little expensive. So again, use those resources that you have. If your school has an incubator that you can work out of, accelerator programs, what have you, get into those. But be smart about it and make sure you find good mentors, business mentors that know what they're doing that are accomplished, not just 
they like business or something. Good. I love that. Great advice. Great advice. So our time is coming to an end. I'm actually kind of sad about it because we could talk all day because, <laughs> you know, like I mean, again, you just have great energy and I love the way you think. So so that means we just have to talk again on our own later. Um, yes. But as we're like wrapping it up, I'd love to know, you know, just really what's next for you. I know one of those things is, you know, full time in your business, but in the next five years, what do you hope for? Or even like, you know, immediately, what's what's next for you? Oh, that's such a such a <laughs> such a good question. Um, so many things. So many things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm at the end of my PhD program now. Actually, so I'm I'm taking a creative sabbatical right now. I'm going to be working with the Smithsonian Institution at the National Museum of African American History and Culture to develop oh, culturally wow. STEM content for them. Yeah. Like the a boss. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I sorry. Like, I'm, I'm, being, look, I'm being me. Look, I'm sorry if I missed you up, but that's like, wait a minute. You, you just said that? Yes, you did. Say it again for the people. Say it again so they can hear this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a, a beautiful opportunity and I think it's really in line with the kind of career I want for myself. I'm not really interested in having a traditional nine to five maybe it might for me that's like kind of a backup plan i'm really interested in having a career that's really dynamic and fulfilling and it's creative that i can go in and help people solve problems like truly so what i'm doing with the smithsonian institution is solving that problem of how do you bring a modern socio-political touch to stem at basically i think i would consider it the world's largest meeting place public free meeting place for people interested in african-american history and culture because stem is part of our society we affect it and it affects us so i came in with the proposal like look this needs to happen this is the best place to do it this is the best time to do it because this is a young institution and everybody wants to be here let's make this happen we need to do it in a way that we're taking advantage of the african-american history and cultural collection that the smithsonian is the world's leader in i think at this very point so that's essentially the kind of work I want to be doing. I want to be doing really innovative work that goes into institutions or goes to schools or whatever and solves their problem. This, I think, formally would look like, you know, some sort of a consulting role. And I'm hoping for WOFAM to get to the status of its own private consultancy where I can do this problem-solving work in science communication, in representation, diversity, and inclusion in STEM, and, you know, in other creative projects. We'll see what else comes down the pipeline. But that's kind of what I see for myself in the next five years, just having a life that's really dope and that I can help people make an impact on their lives and inspire more people, not to get into STEM, but inspire more people to be their most authentic selves and be comfortable mm. with that. Yes. Yeah. Keywords, keywords. Yes. <laughs> um, that's what, you know, I part of what I built my platform on, if you know, if you've heard is, you know, and be your most authentic self and what that means to show up in the world, however you may be and and love who you are in the element and know that in the right space, people will love you back. So I, I, mm-hmm. I feel that a lot. Last question for you. If you had one thing that you want, you know, the people who are listening to this to walk away with or just hold on to as a piece of advice for life, what would you say? Ooh, we for life. Uh, I would say be mindful of the way that you speak over yourself and the way that you treat yourself. You can rely on the way that others treat you to validate your self-worth and your self-respect and self-esteem. But we are all here for a limited amount of time and we are all human at the end of the day. So it makes more sense to just focus on the way you speak over yourself and the way you speak to yourself because that can be a differentiator between a life well-lived and a life of spitefulness and, you know, hatefulness and negativity. 
that shift is what really changed my trajectory from a life that seemed kind of on a negative, struggly side to a life that was a lot more, I guess, happy and fulfilling and satisfying for me. And maybe through other people's eyes, it might not look like that. It might look differently. But all that matters is that I personally feel fulfilled in what I'm doing. And it's because of the mindset that I've been able to cultivate and really commit to for this kind of life that I want for myself. Mm, 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 mm. Well, thank you so much, Hontel, for sharing. You have been an absolute pleasure to have on today and just to really connect with. I'm glad that one of your your things is celebrating joy because you have really been joyful. Um, How can the folks find you in the social media space on the Internet, all that? How can they connect with you? All right. All right. So anybody listening to this can connect with me. First and foremost, find me at wokestem.com. That's how you can get on our mailing list. Be sure to watch our videos on YouTube. They're really, really creative. I promise they'll make you laugh. And I also promise there's something that you've never seen before. Um, you can also find Wokestem on Twitter and Instagram. Connect with the community there. Uh, if you want to contact me personally, you can find me at LinkedIn.com. That's my kind of professional resource, and I am pretty active on there. So I will message you back. I will contact you there. And if you're trying to hit me up on social media, you can follow me at Trill My Chic, which is T-R-I-L-L-N-Y-E-C-H-I-C. Um, find me there on Instagram. I don't post there that much. It's kind of like a musings, reflection kind of Instagram. So, But you can definitely connect with me on there. Um, I'm always happy to connect with people there as well. It's a growing kind of, it's a new Instagram for me. Um, but that's pretty much it. And hopefully I kind of covered everything there. Primarily, if you can contact me through WokeStem, that would be the best way. Awesome. Good to know. Well, again, Chantel, thank you so very much for your time, for your energy, for your wisdom, um, for your, your passions, for everything that you're doing. I wish you nothing but the best of luck in all that lies ahead. Thank you so much, Dr. Eve. I truly appreciate this opportunity. This is wonderful. Thank you. You're so very welcome.